Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Tiffany St. Bernard. Tiffany is the founder and CEO of Hair Days, a deep tech AI application for hair and scalp health. She's also a postdoctoral candidate at Cornell Tech in New York City and holds a PhD in biomedical engineering from Cornell University. Tiffany previously worked as the program manager for the Cornell Blackstone Launchpad program and served as an analyst at Excel Partners Venture Capital Fund. She was also the chair of Cornell's Diversity and International Committee, as well as fund manager at Cornell's Big Red Venture Fund. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you and to explore with the, our audience, the work that you're doing and and your story. So generally, I'd like to give um, my guests the opportunity to really kind of set the stage and the context for what you're doing and who you are by giving us a, you know, a snapshot of where you grew up, what your ambitions were as a young child, where you went to school, how you got started, and give us some background on you. Yeah, sure. No problems. I grew up in mainly in Connecticut, um, born in New York, uh, spent, moved to Connecticut when I was in third grade to pursue a uh, you know, figure skating dream. So I used to be an Olympic track figure skater from like three until I was 20. And so that was basically my my entire life. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, I spent most of my time all day, every day, training, stretching, working out and, and figure skating. Um, and uh, I trained at the International Skating Center of Connecticut with Olympic track um, coaches. And um, that's where I ended up going to when that dream uh, had to be put on pause or, uh, or died, I guess, <laughs> because of an injury. I ended up going to UConn uh, for undergrad and I was actually pre-med um, in the back in the day. Um, but then I fell in love with entrepreneurship and uh, research and ended up pursuing a PhD at Cornell University in biomedical engineering. I've always wanted to help others, but then I realized that there's other ways of helping and you know, giving back, um, impacting people's lives. And so, yeah, that's how I um, got my, ended up with my PhD. So um, before we move on, I'm just kind of curious about the ice skating piece because I actually wasn't aware uh, of that. How did you originally get introduced to ice skating? Uh, through my parents, yeah. They, when I was about around two, three years old, my parents put um, myself and my siblings, I have two sisters and a brother, into figure skating because they thought it was a beautiful sport. And they also thought that, you know, sports teach you a lot of discipline, overcoming challenges. And they're definitely right about that. <laughs> I, feel like it, yeah. I feel like if you can fall this many times and still get up, you can overcome anything. Interesting. So were you um, working hard to get onto an Olympic team? Was that your goal? Yeah, that was the goal. Um, I probably trained like eight plus hours every single day. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> that's all, that was my entire life. I, I, wow. I jokingly say it was my first love. And mm-hmm. um, it, was, it was kind of devastating to not be able to pursue those dreams. But I found a new passion, a lo- new love in entrepreneurship. How was the transition for you between being a professional athlete to becoming a full-time student? It was very challenging because um, 
my my coaches uh, convinced my parents to have me stay, uh, you know, be homeschooled. But really, what that meant was I didn't really do any of the academic, you know, work or high school work. And so you can, you know, you could basically say that I skipped high school. And so, wow. and so starting college, I started community college actually before um, going to UConn uh, for my undergraduate degree in biology. And I had started started community college without finishing high school or not or finishing any of the coursework. And I remember the first course I took, I worked so hard on it. I took one class. It was a math class, and I got a C. It was like, <laughs> I spent so much time, so much tutoring, so much energy, and it was so sad. But I remember my parents told me like. I should be proud that I passed, like without the background of like, uh, and not only the, without the background, but also like years of not seeing any coursework um, mm. and still being able to pass. They're like, I should be proud and just look work harder. And I, my grades continue, continue to improve after that point. It, that's building a lot of grit, I'm sure, especially through your athletics as well. Yes, absolutely. So once you um, graduated from school, did you go straight into a master's and PhD program? After UConn, I actually spent a year at a UConn Health Center working in a tissue engineering lab, working on um, uh, like uh, different research projects there. Then I applied to a, a PhD program at Cornell. And tell us a little bit about the Cornell Tech program. Well, the Cornell Tech program, I felt like it's amazing. It's for any, uh, like it's, I feel like it was built for me or people like mm-hmm. me where you, you're really interested or passionate about research or technology. Um, you have a PhD, but you're really interested in commercializing the deep tech. And so Cornell Tech Runway Program is a unique PhD uh, postdoc program that allows you to commercialize the, your research that you did as a PhD student, or you have another deep tech idea, like in my case, it gives you the mentorship resources similar to that you would have as a postdoctoral candidate, but um, you get to be working your, your venture, your idea full time. And that's the stage that you're in right now? Yeah, so we're still pretty early stage. Um, we've done some custom discovery, so talking to our customers and some validation. We, we do have an MVP, like, you know, minimal viable product, proof of concept. And we're right now in the process of getting it out there, gaining validation um, with our customers. Since we're always very focused on doing interviews with women entrepreneurs and exploring on this particular show, Uh, one of the things we like to explore is their journey. We're including on a semi-regular basis interviews with young founders who are just getting started or in the early stages of their product validation or just uh, early days post-revenue. So we're excited to have you participate in that because I think that there's a lot of founders who are really... Um, sometimes very intimidated by the process of how you get started, how do you get your support, you know, where do you begin? And I'm just wondering what the experience has been like, or if you can share a little bit about your own experiences once you kind of completed your degree at Cornell and you kind of are in the real world and starting your work, if you can share some of those feelings. Getting started, it's, I think it's like almost anything, like working out or any other thing that requires building a habit. It's, it's the hardest part. But once you get started, then you can understand where your gaps are and where your strengths are and seek 
guidance and resources to help, you know, fill those voids. For me, I actually was an entrepreneur while I was a PhD student. And in my head, I felt like I was like, you know, very passionate about like very prior, much prioritizing entrepreneurship. But what it really boiled down to is that I really found myself having a hard time doing both because I say I, maybe I had to be in the lab. So I didn't have as much time to go to like certain meetings and so on. So I, it, it ended up being like the priority be, being finishing my PhD, which I do think it was the right path for me because it did give me the insights and, um, you know, credibility to build what we're building. Um, a part of why I also put focus on the PhD is I also ha- ended up being ill during my PhD um, time. So it very, it's almost impossible for me to do both things. Um, and so I prioritized the, the PhD at the time. But in getting started, it's, I guess it's, you know, try to guess first validate your idea through customer discoveries before you even start building. It's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, make mistakes about they you know you have a cool idea you want to like bring it to life and sometimes you are right like by just building what you think is best for yourself or who you think your customer is but really understanding and being obsessed with who the customer is and what they need is something that I've definitely learned to be my guiding light and making sure that throughout the process of building or finding resources and validating what we're doing, we are making sure that we're listening to the customer, iterating and listening to the customer again. And do you feel that as a woman of color and a woman who is in the tech field and deep tech, that you're kind of a pioneer uh, as you look around your classroom in, in a university and in the type of program that you were in or, or not? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that we're, um, we're, especially in the area that we're focused on, um, hair tech, it's an area that there's not that much uh, like deep tech around hair analysis, hair AI, computer vision technology and stuff like that. So just the field in itself is nascent. And so I think we're, we believe that we're pioneers in just in general in that field. But with respect to like black women or even just like women, um, in the you know AI space, it's really not uh, that common or there's not that many women in that field. And I would love to see more women. And that's part of why I also am a mentor to many other up and coming entrepreneurs or women interested in um, AI and deep tech. Let's talk a little bit about the technology in and of itself in, in, in your company. Can you share a little bit of your why and you know why you selected this particular problem to try to solve? So I've always been interested in solving uh, big problems that are often overlooked. The problems that everyone goes after are, le- are less exciting to me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I felt like hair tech, um, you know, it's, an, it's a, a problem that affects mainly women, um, but especially women with textured hair. We spend so much time, like my hair is very coily or curly. Uh, we sp- I spend like hours on my, styling my hair, finding products figuring out technique and stuff like that but there's not really good resources or technology to help like streamline that process or um, overcome certain barriers and it's kind of like a guessing game when you're trying to find products that are tailored to you and so i saw this as a really great opportunity for us to build something novel and unique and so we're building uh, a technology that allows you to analyze your hair not only just uh, curl pattern or like you know, beauty attributes like curl pattern or frizz or hairstyle, but we're also working with our uh, 
data partners and in the healthcare space to allow us to be able to analyze health-related attributes such as like a hair loss or different forms of alopecia, chondrodermatitis, different allergies of the scalp, um, you know, scalp psoriasis and so on, and help people find really products that solve these problems. So can you talk a little bit though about the, uh, and I know you're still building out your product in terms of, you know, your full vision for the product. Um, So let's just focus on what that full vision would be. Are you looking at customer provided information, which then you're using to match what a customer wants or needs with the right products, perhaps and services, or people also like down the road going to be providing you with a hair sample or something? Uh, Yeah, we're trying to do everything digital. So all the analysis and um, uh, processing is around like digital images or video content that the users submit. Down the line, we may do some like at the chem- chemical level, uh, but we're doing a lot of analysis on the image or video, and as well as on product and product formulation and pro- best like product interactions and and stuff like that. And we know that we can get a lot of accuracy in the recommendations by focusing on those, and as well as user generated like user inputs to be able to provide these per- the best match products. And is that for everything from shampoo, conditioner, styling, gels, et cetera? Exactly. And what do you think is currently, I mean, as an observer, from a scientific standpoint, when you look at the hair care field, which is massive, what do you think is missing? Or perhaps there's too much of something that perhaps is not great for our scalp? Well, I would say that in the past, especially if we talk about textured hair care products, I would say that one of the issues was that there was a limited number of products, right? But now I think the, the problem is kind of the opposite, is that there's so many choices. You really only have brand or packaging to kind of differentiate one product from the next. And it's difficult for consumers to sift through the noise and figure out what's actually is beneficial for them, healthy for their hair, and also helps them achieve the outcome that they prefer, like so preference. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's what's really what we're trying to solve with the technology that we're building. And do you find that there's a lot of products that have uh, harmful chemicals in them that cause some of these medical issues? Absolutely. There are articles or primary literature publications out there that talk about uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals, stuff that change, you know, that could lead to cancer or could lead to, you know, different uh, negative pathologies in the body. There is a lot of more and more research being done on that. But even outside of just the health related, like it's not healthy for you, just finding something that help person get to the goal that they want, that's mm-hmm. it, that in itself is is difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because when you purchase, uh, as you know all too well, and our listeners do, when you purchase a shampoo or conditioner, as you said, really all you really have to go by is a short tagline. And then you have to sift through all the ingredients in the back, which to most of us, you know, we can't really make heads or tails of whether that's good or bad. Absolutely. And do you feel that over time that there's an accumulation effect to some of these products at all? From the research I've seen, I would say yes. However, you can reduce the amount of or concentration of these chemicals in your body um, once you stop using them. Um, and mm-hmm. there, there are tests now that you can uh, do, like urine tests that you can do to measure the concentration of, say, endocrine-disrupting chemicals in your body. 
So what would you suggest um, for our listeners if they're looking at the back of a bottle, if there's one thing that they want to try to avoid when purchasing any kind of hair product, do you have a suggestion? I don't have a suggestion on this one thing because I think it comes down to really the person's preference. Uh, even mm-hmm. though the st- some things are you know healthy or, or maybe not on, not as healthy as the next, I think it really comes down to the consumer to decide. Similar to how like there are fast food restaurants versus like very green healthy. At the end of the day, I would want to look at it from the perspective of I want to give the consumer the knowledge and information so they can make an informed decision what's right for them. And what do you think is um, so challenging about textured hair specifically? Well, part of it is the um, textured hair can take on so many different forms, depending and the resolution of the cameras and stuff like that are getting a lot better. But being able to capture these uh, the hair and understand and interpret it on different lighting, different you know, shadows and and stuff like that, that even just cap- analyzing the hair is very difficult. And even getting to the scalp. When when a person has um, very textured hair, um, take, helping a person take a good pro- quality product so that we can process it well, that's another challenge. Jumping back to the topic of your career as an athlete, what do you think as a founder that you gleaned from your experience as an athlete and what lessons from that period in your life do you feel like you've applied to your life now as an entrepreneur? I would say that I don't want to be cliche, cliche, but I I would say that, you know, that anything I set my mind to, I know I can accomplish it. Um, And even though I may have doubt that, you know, things are challenging or I'm not really sure what's around the corner. Mm -hmm. I know that through like grit and hard work and like connection, my, my support network, we can figure it out. And so I think that's something that I've also like, you know, translates from figure skating is, you know, being willing to and knowing that you know we i can overcome these barriers and do you feel that um having spent so many years in as an elite athlete that it's helped you kind of get thick skin in terms of failure and and bouncing back from failure oh yeah i mean if it's figure skating every day you're being told of like you know uh, this doesn't look pretty or like this, you know, you should need to you know, arch your back in a certain way. Or like there's so much like um, criticism on how you look, how you hold yourself, what you're doing, everything. <laughs> and I think that helps you be able to take negative feedback. And oftentimes when I'm, I'm working with mentors or getting advice, I, I always say like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Please do be blunt. Because if I hear the blunt, um, you know, direct feedback, I can improve. And that's all I want to do is um, improve the product and and make it better. And how do you feel that your current experience, especially around raising capital, and and I know that you're still in the early stages of that, but you have been out in the grant area, I know. Has that been challenging or or fairly straightforward for you? I I think the fundraising is always a challenge. I think that We've been focused a lot on the grant side of things. I think it's part because it's something that our, our team is good at, or mm-hmm. uh, we have this, you know, experience in uh, from being a PhD, you know, and a student and stuff like that. And we've had some success there recently, which I'm super excited about. We've recently brought in a really big grant, which is going to be like instrumental in us hitting our milestones over this next year. But we are also looking for institutional investment, and we're going to really kick that off again in. Um, 
March or like April time. And yeah, that's, that is where you definitely have to have a lot of thick skin. You get a lot of no's. And you, sometimes what's the hardest for me is that you don't always get clarity on what, on how to improve. So to me, like, I, I don't mind if someone tells me, oh, this is terrible, but I hate, I, to me, it's worse when they just like, oh, no, I'm going to pass because <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't do anything with that information. Yeah. Right. So There's not much of a learning experience that comes out of that. Exactly. And so that's been, that to me has been the hardest for me is trying to figure out like, okay, what do I do next when I'm not getting the real criti critical feedback to refine what we're doing? And um, finding resources to know who to talk to, was that difficult? Or do you feel that through your university contacts that that's quite easy? I think identifying, like first knowing who I need to talk to, I think has been one of the harder things. Uh, and also because of change, it's like a moving target. Uh, what resource I need today is very different than maybe tomorrow or the next, next hour from now. Finding the actual people in the network, I would say has been less difficult. But uh, some of the resources that I I would need in the more uh, short term are probably going to be harder to secure. And I have some like feelers out there, but yeah, we, we need to grow our team. And so hopefully we can bring on enthusiastic, uh, you know, techies to help us um, bring our vision to life. So as you know, the, um, the name of our show is Startup Hacks, how to save time, money, and gain a competitive edge while bootstrapping your business. And one of the things that oftentimes can save a founder a lot of time is to kind of leverage their network or leverage their resources or or manage their time in a particular way. And I'm just wondering for you, even in this early stage, are there any tricks of the trade or Tiffany strategies that you use in order to maximize your time or maximize your funds? Yeah. So um, with respect to maximizing my time, I would say that I live by my calendar. <laughs> like everything is scheduled out, including making sure that I drink water. <laughs> and <the same> okay. <laughs> I, but for like drinking water, I have it as like a check, check um, like a, a task so I can check it off. Like, yes, I accomplished my goal. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I block out a time for everything, including going on dates with my uh, my significant other, my partner, and making sure that I, you know, there's some balance there. Uh, I will say that I'm guilty at working way more than I relax. Uh, but it's another, I guess, hack would be to make sure you surround yourself with people that want to understand that that's, that's the lifestyle that you chose, but then are also making sure that you stay tethered to this earth and make sure that you're, you know, doing the things like relaxing and, you know, balance. And so um, presuming that I was looking at your calendar and I'm, I'm presuming therefore that there's going to be a lot of blocks. There's not a lot of white space because you've scheduled everything out, <laughs> right? Do, I mean, I, I can, I can certainly relate because I do try to be really organized, but as you know, sometimes you just blow it. Do you find that you need a certain system to kind of really force yourself to really walk the walk and practice what's in the calendar as opposed to just blowing through, oh, I'm, I'm not going out on that date or I'm not going to bed on, on time, et cetera? Yeah, I think this one goes back to like the, so one of the lessons I learned with figure skating. It was being very disciplined. And so, mm -hmm. like, I was, like, even when I was very young, I would, uh, I remember my aunts and stuff like that found it kind of strange. I was, like, okay, 10 o'clock, 9 p.m. is bedtime. So, like, lights went off. Like, <laughs> no matter what I was doing at the moment, I knew it was bedtime, so I went to bed. So I, I was fortunate in having, like, many years of practicing, doing things mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily want to do, but I do it when I need to do it. 
and I've tried not following my calendar and just trying to remember things and try and go with the flow. And I realized that I just don't get as much done. Um, mm. and, and if I do get things done, I may not have prioritized the things that are most important to get done for that day. And so I don't think everyone needs to schedule in every single second of their day. But I think the most important things that you need to get done for that day need to be on there. And then also you have to kind of like know how to shuffle things around in case things Life never goes as you plan it exactly, right? <laughs> so you should, right, yeah. right, exactly. You need a buffer zone, otherwise you're always failing. Exactly. Things that could be moved. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So um, so what kind of calendar um, program do you use or do you recommend? Yeah, I really like the Google Calendar. I use it for everything. Um, I have all of my different things that I'm working on color-coded. So like if I'm working on fundraising or if I'm working on like, Know, partnerships or whatever everything is color coded and the color coding is almost like a priority because i know what my priority for the week or for the day is and so if it doesn't fall within the, those colors then it gets it gets booted to the next day and does it auto roll to the next day uh no i just i just uh, i move it over myself you just move it over yeah yeah and do you also use your calendar for project management, you know, in, in terms of knowing that you need to allocate X amount of time to, let's say, work on investor materials or whatever it may be? Yeah, I do do that. And I would say that's one area that I'm trying to optimize because I use Asana as well for my managing my team. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. of course, some things that I do uh, need to work into integrate into that uh, workflow, but I rely a lot on my calendar. And the way that Asana kind of puts it on the calendar isn't really ideal for how I want <laughs> want to manage my day. So I'm still trying to figure that out. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I definitely use Asana for like my team management. And then I use my calendar for like my, my like managing myself. <laughs> and is there any in the, anything in the self-care bucket that you would recommend to listeners? Making sure that you make it a priority. You can definitely... If you're anything like me and you, you're kind of a workaholic or you're really passionate about what you're doing, you can kind of get lost in spending so much time um, working and not as much time rusting. And that actually is part of why I, when I was a PhD student, I ended up being very sick. I ended up you know, in and out of the ICU. And it was because I worked myself to, to the bone. And wow. yeah, and so I kind of, I learned the hard way and I tried not to work to the same, you know, the same extent, but it's definitely difficult when you're excited about what you're working on, right? To me, it's not, it doesn't feel like work because I'm excited about learning new things, new experiences. And, but I know it's something that I have to prioritize. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're healthy and you're allowing yourself uh, a decent amount of sleep every night, which is critical. One of my other guests was talking about how important water intake is and the amount of sleep you get. So it very much ties into your calendar and your own personal goals. So I myself need to be better at doing that. I find myself staying up later than I really need to, simply to unwind, I think, too, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's definitely difficult. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Tiffany, if there are any listeners that would like to learn more about your product or get in touch with you personally, is there a website that you'd like to share or a business email or how would you uh, like to be contacted? They can reach out to me directly um, at my email. It's Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y at 
myhairdays.com. So M-Y-H-A-I-R-D-A-Y-S.com. We also recently launched a, a like a simplified version of our app for people that have struggled to find hair care products without allergens or allergies. So if you want to filter out specific allergies, uh, and that has recently dropped in the Apple App Store, and it's called Clarity with exclamation mark. So C-L-A-R-I-T-Y exclamation point is the name of your app? Correct. Got it. Okay. And all further updates will be under the same name, I'm presuming? Yes. Got it. Well, congratulations. I think what you're doing is amazing and it's really going to help a lot of women. So I'm excited to actually download your app myself and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you again and tune in next week for more startup hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.